Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. As always, my name is Brandon Stanley, joined by Matthew Soma and Alex O'Hari. We are very excited to be bringing you this after game two of the first round series between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Nashville Predators. Um, lots to talk about there. Lots to talk about from all over the NHL. Every series has gotten underway as of recording this. Um, we are just a few minutes into Toronto and Montreal as of recording. Uh, we just saw a very, very scary, scary play happen between uh, Ben Sherratt, Corey Perry, and John Tavares. Kind of has all three of our minds elsewhere right this second. So, and as we just spoke about that Tavares injury, I guess we'll probably, it would be logical to just go ahead and start right there. Um Obviously, very, very scary play that just happened. Um, what do we think? How is this going to impact that series at all? I mean, I know Toronto is a pretty heavy favorite. I don't think any of us three think Montreal is all that good. And Toronto still obviously has more talent up front, even without John Tavares. You know, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander. There's, there's a lot of guys, Zach Hyman, um, that probably are better than just about anything Montreal has. Um do we think this is going to have any bearing, even if it's just as much as like, it's going to be tough for them to bounce back for this game. So maybe Montreal, you know, I don't want to call it like an advantage, but it kind of is, you know, having your star player and captain go down like that. It's very understandable for Toronto to kind of go into a lull here. So what kind of impact do we think this is going to have on the series? Okay. Well, there's two things. Hold up. There's two things we need to clarify here before we really get into it. Uh, One being obviously, you know, we, really hope to see John Tavares uh, with a full recovery, like prayers up that he's okay, man. That's you, you don't want to see that in any hockey game to any player, regardless if you love, hate the player, it doesn't matter. You don't want to see that. And, uh, you know, obviously hope to, hope to see him. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, you know, anybody sending death threats to Corey Perry on Twitter, it really needs to reevaluate what they're doing with themselves because it's just a totally accidental play regardless of Corey Perry's history, there's just nothing he can do there. Uh, it wasn't malicious at all. It's just just one of the things that kind of happens in hockey, man. It's just you can't control that kind of stuff. So uh, nobody should be blaming Corey Perry here. And, uh, you know, with some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter just makes me sick to my stomach. So, yeah, we, we can get into the overall series. I think if Montreal is going to have any chance in this series at all, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to need to come from – their overall size um, in the lineup, 
the you know guys like Corey Perry, guys like Josh Anderson, um, some experienced guys like Eric Stahl, even though it has not gone well for him since he's gone there, they're going to need those guys and Ben Sherratt, um and Shea Weber, and they're guys on defense, their experience and their size to kind of overtake the series and try and overpower Toronto Toronto physically, neutralize their skill a little bit. I don't think it's going to be easy for them. I'm just not sure they have enough. Um, you see you see them, them healthy scratching their their young future pieces like Kotkaniemi and Romanov. It's just, I'm not I'm not totally sure what Montreal is doing there. It's going to probably take a miracle for them to win this series, but you know, Toronto, Montreal, anything can happen, but uh, it, I, I don't think it's going to be a long series and I'm not sure Montreal has enough. Yeah. And just real quick on that, there's actually a lot of parallels to draw there between the Predators and Hurricane series, John Hines scratching, you know, Rocco Grimaldi and uh, Ely Tolvin in, in game one, trying to go for that size and, um, you know, nastiness advantage and that we see how that worked out for Nashville. But I will say that uh, the Canadians in the first intermission have a one nothing lead and two of those guys that you just mentioned factored in on the goal, Eric Stahl with the primary assist to uh, Josh Anderson, who apparently I didn't actually see it, but it was kind of what you said. It was kind of like one of those power forward-esque goals. So that's the kind of thing they're going to be looking to do. Anyway, Matt. Well, he's play. really underrated. Like he's, he's a really good player and he's going to need to be their X factor if they're going to have any chance to win this series. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in Montreal either. Um, obviously, I hope that John Tavares is okay because, I mean, like you said, Alex, you don't want to see that happen to anybody. Um, what, what I'm interested to see is because, I mean, you know, it's kind of almost a meme at this point with Toronto um, in playoff series how, like, Matthews and Marner fail to show up in the big moments. And... Now with, you know, one of your best offensive players out, with your captain out, you're going to have to rely on these guys to, uh, I guess, get over the hump that they maybe haven't been able to get over over before, you know? So that's the storyline that I'm going to be watching. Because obviously, I mean, judging by the looks of things, Tavares has a concussion. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't have to have a medical degree to tell you that he probably has one. Um, and so that's going to be interesting. It's going to keep him out of at least a week of play. So he's going to miss, you know, upwards of three, four games, you know? So it's going to fall on. I mean, again, yes, the depth has to right has to, you know, step up, but at the end of the day, your best players need to be your best players. And if Matthews and Marner aren't those guys, then Montreal has a shot. I'm not saying it's likely, just because, again, once I don't believe in Montreal as a team. I think that the only reason they were a playoff team this year is because they had to play in the Canadian division, which, which absolutely sucks. <laughs> and I'm going to keep it real. If you're trying to defend the Canadian division for not being that bad, just stop. It's a bad <laughs> division. Like, Yeah, yeah well, you know – See Toronto. What I li- what I like about what they've done is they've kind of gone out and added a lot of experience to their group over the last couple of years. Whether it's the right experience or not, uh, they brought in some guys that have been around the block and done a lot in the NHL. Guys like Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, and most recently Nick Foligno, who have that experience in the playoffs. Uh, they've done a lot in the league. 
most of those guys have been future, uh, former captains in other situations. So it's definitely a big boost to the locker room, I think. But do those guys really have enough at this point to offer um, to really get you over the hump in the playoffs? I think that's going to be a pretty big, uh, pretty big kind of factor in how far Toronto can really get here. And as of right now, I think if they emerge from the Canadian division, which I, I'd assume they're the favorites, but if they can emerge out of the Canadian division, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how great they match up against the teams that they figure uh, to match up against in the semifinal and beyond that. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that does need to be said though, the way Montreal wins this series is not by outscoring Toronto. <clears throat> it's definitely by using their, they have a big physical defense, Shea Weber, Joel Edmondson, Ben Chiro, and, um, <clears throat> Tom Merrill, excuse me. It's by using those guys to clog the middle of the ice, not give the Toronto forwards any room to make anything happen, and obviously Carey Price to turn back into Carey Price. Uh, he made 14 saves in the first period. Uh, it's pretty good initial return for the Canadians. It's probably the kind of thing you want to see because if he gets involved early, makes a bunch of saves, and settles into the game, you could be talking upset there. It's not you know the most unfathomable situation and we know Toronto if nothing else doubt is going to creep into the back of their minds pretty quickly I mean how much they've been through in postseason how long has it been since they've won one postseason series 2004 exactly so it's been almost two decades since they've won a playoff series any series the first round so there's some level of a monkey that they have to get off their back if they want to move forward and I don't know crazier things would happen man that's why we love the nhl playoffs right you never know what the hell is going to happen teams upset other yeah, teams you don't I, expect I, to all the time look at columbus and tampa I, I, a couple years ago montreal yeah. winning would be a gift to the winner of the winnipeg yeah series that's for sure like yeah you I, could I, I not agree. wrap a better present for either of those teams <laughs> again i mean what it, what it's going to come down to is montreal being able to shut down toronto's top guys yeah um, and we've seen, you know, with the Canes in their series, I'm going to bring up the Canes real quick. Cause you know, again, center of the hockey universe here. Yeah. We've seen that, you know, for the most part, we've been able to shut down Johansson. Um, who are the other top players? Forsberg. Duchesne. I don't consider Duchesne a top player after the season he's had, but I, yeah. I guess we'll throw him in there. Arvidsson. Arvidsson. Thank you. Yeah. Forgot. He came back from injury. But, I mean, that line, I think, has only the one goal, and that was uh, the first goal, goal in, open the season, in open game the one. Yep. I mean, granted, you know, we're two games in. The Canes have only allowed two goals. But still, I mean, you know, the Canes have done a great job so far. But, all yeah. right, we can go back to other series now. I just yeah. wanted to get that in. All right, so we'll stick with the Canadian division. Um, so uh, Winnipeg taking game one from the Edmonton Oilers. It's a four-to-one final. Um, you didn't even visit me last night. Yeah. Well, well I, my phone was dead, man. I know. I know. I know, I know. I'm, just, yeah, I'm just kidding. I knew they went up there. I'll, I'll jump yeah. right into it with the Oilers and Jets here. Um, I'm not sure how much of the game you guys watched. Uh, I watched majority of the third period, and, um, you know, I was pretty impressed with Winnipeg's game plan. They were, they were very uh, focused in on shutting down the neutral zone. And they were not allowing Edmonton to come through the middle with the puck at all. Really neutralized Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Both of them held off the score sheet. And uh, Connor Hellebuck, he had a pretty good performance last night. Um, you know, for Winnipeg, I think, I think their biggest thing, even without 
Pierre-Luc Dubois and Nikolai Ehlers last night is they're going to have to really neutralize, obviously, Edmonton's two top guys because the depth, especially to score goals, uh, is going to fall off dramatically, especially if you can neutralize those two guys and take them out of the, out of the equation. Edmonton is going to have a tough time doing anything. And, you know, you, you could just see how frustrated Edmonton were getting with with Winnipeg's pressing and physicality in the neutral zone. Um, I really like their game plan, and I think Edmonton might be in more trouble than people realize. Oh, yeah, yeah I it's mean, the Battle of the Paper Tigers out there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Winnipeg's uh, a great team. I think they have their issues. Um, Edmonton has two of the top three forwards in the league. They have Connor McDavid, who's unquestionably the best player in the National Hockey League. And Leon Dreisaitl, who I would firmly put in the number three spot because Sidney Crosby is still fantastic in his early 30s. And yet, Edmonton just... There, but, you know. Well, you could, you could kind of argue that McKinnon and Dreisaitl are... They're close. Yeah, high. it's fine. But what I'm getting at here is Edmonton just doesn't have much outside of those two guys. Again, yeah. like I, I know they've they've tried in recent years to improve on their depth. I just don't believe in this team. No, and it, it's not a knock on McDavid and Drysaddle. I mean, we've seen how far that they can carry the Oilers, but eventually, you know, we we've seen it. And again, when teams can stop McDavid on the rare occasion, the Oilers flounder. Yeah. And I think if, if Winnipeg can pull off a couple more of those games, that's it. The, uh, the Oilers are toast. Yeah, I mean, the Oilers need guys like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, I don't know, Yamamoto, Kajian even. I don't know. Somebody's got to step up and provide a little bit of secondary scoring. Um, Yessi Pogliarvi did score their only goal yesterday. But I don't know how do we feel about Pogliarvi? I, I can't say I've watched that much of that Canadian division this year. He did score 15 goals. I'm just now seeing that. So at least he gave them a little bit of something. So I guess he's another guy you need to throw in there and say they need him to be dangerous and continue to or start to make good on all so, that promise he had coming out in the draft years ago. So here's what's really bad about the Oilers. Listen to how hilarious these stats are. Connor McDavid led the team with 105 points in 56 games. Not exactly Dr. Math, but I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Dry Saddle, 84 points in 56 games. And it drops nearly 40 points from two to three. And Tyson Berry with 48 points. Darnell Nurse had a really good year. They had one, uh, they had one other forward with 30 plus points this year. And that was Nugent Hopkins. The 35, right. They don't have any depth. And I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, again, and it goes back to me saying, I don't believe in the Oilers because they don't have any depth. Nugent Hopkins, I think at this point, is kind of washed up. I think, you know, he's not not nearly as good as he could have been maybe three, four years ago. And I think that, you know, Tyson Berry, while he's had a great season offensively, he's responsible for a lot of goals against too. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's that that's right on the head. But, you know, for me, the issue for Edmonton is, you know, beyond just McDavid and Drysaddle, they're, they're guys like Nugent Hopkins and, like Brandon mentioned, Yamamoto, guys that they're going to be relying on to contribute, um, to, you know, kind of add some depth scoring. With Winnipeg's level of physicality and the structure they showed last night, 
those guys are going to be they're going to be taken out of the series, especially at their size. I'm not sure they're going to be able to compete physically. And you know, if if Connor McDavid and Drysaddle can't carry this team, I I don't think Edmonton is going to go very far. I'm not sure they're going to get out of this series. And I picked Winnipeg to win the series before it started, mainly because of that. That I if you're Winnipeg, your entire game plan is fixated around shutting those two guys down, and you're going to win this series if you can do that. Well, I think it'll get tighter. Um, it was a it was a two to one game. They scored two empty netters last night, so it was yeah, a one shot yeah, game. I watched the third period, and and they're not gonna. Connor McDavid's gonna get some eventually. I picked I picked Edmonton to win this series partially because of how bad Winnipeg has looked lately. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, at some point, Connor and Leon are gonna get a couple of games, right? I mean, this goes at least six to me. Um, even if it does go in Winnipeg's favor, um. I just another thing that I probably didn't think that much about is Mike Smith. Um, <laughs> I know he had a good year. I, I know that, but he's the not, track record isn't good. Yeah, that's that's not really the guy you want to be staking your hopes on in the play playoffs. Um, you know, Winnipeg does have a lot of talent up front. They got guys like Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler. Obviously, PLD and uh, Nikolai Ehlers didn't play last night, but they've got some firepower up there, and it's a lot more depth than. Uh, Edmonton has and the guy that everybody leaves out and I can't believe I just left him out too because he's one of my favorite players to watch Kyle Connor yeah Kyle Connor uh was built for the playoffs for sure he's a beast um and again I I hate to keep bringing this up but Winnipeg while it was a close game they were also missing two of their best forwards yeah so you've got to think that in a game that Winnipeg already won you know, even with the two empty netters, adding two top six forwards back to that lineup, that's gotta be. I would, I, if it's not a wake up call for the Oilers, then kiss that series goodbye too, you know? Yeah. All right. But so we've spent enough time on that one. We're, let's go through these two th- ones that uh, I think at this point are probably gonna be pretty quick for us to talk about. Um, we've got. <laughs> the Florida Panthers are now down five to three in a game that they once led two to nothing. They are st- in the third period and staring at going down three zero. I don't think there's really a whole lot of reason to spend a ton of time right there. Um, if you guys no, can there's a ton of reason because I mean this could be <laughs> this could be our opponent. Well, that's a different series. We don't if, need to talk about that win, right now, though. Course. We got a lot more stuff to talk about tonight. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sure, yeah, but again, yeah. I will have to say, and I'm going to use the term paper tiger again. I well, didn't. I don't think Florida. I don't think Florida's as hyped of a team, or as good of a team as they've been hyped to be. Yeah, I never saw that, especially I, I, without Ekblad. Yeah, and um, again, Alex and I were talking before the podcast. You know, Ekblad being out is a huge loss for that team. But even still, when he was in the lineup, I. Sorry, Brandon, are you good? My light keeps flashing. Oh. It's freaking me out. Like my power went out or something. All right, sorry. That's the the Storm Podcast ghost. <laughs> All right. The ghost of Hayden Flurry. <laughs> He's still alive, my man. <laughs> so, even when Ekblad was in the lineup and uh, the Canes were playing against him, I I don't think that they were any better, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's 
you're paying $10 million to have Sergei Bobrovsky sit on the bench for these two games. Um, Chris Drieger clearly isn't up to the challenge. Um, Florida just scored. It's five to four now. Oh, well, I might have to re- No, I'm, I'm sticking no, no, by the this. Po- the point stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, no, point, the point stands. Like, like Florida just- is a team with some really good pieces, like really, really good pieces. They've got Mackenzie Weger, who I think is phenomenal. Yep. They've got Huberto and Barkov, and Akblad has his issues, but for the most part, I mean, he's an important part of that team. It's just, as a whole, I mean, again, Alex mentioned it, when you have Gustav Forsling playing top minutes on your team, like, I don't good, think man. I can take you seriously. I know, but he's actually been pretty good. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, and you know what? Beyond just Bobrovsky making ten million to ride the pine, uh, you've got Keith Yandel in the press box too. He's making over well over six million. And I don't know if you guys how closely you guys watched the first two games, but he was just just dreadful. Um, he, he wasn't just, bad he, in the regular season. I just don't think anybody on Florida was very good in yeah, the first he, two games. He, in those first two games, he was just he was such a liability out there. He just he looked like he had no idea what he was doing. Uh, it, it was tough to watch. He's um, not really the kind of player you want to rely on too much, I think, in a physical playoff series, just because he's not that great yeah. defensively. He's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say, like, soft, but he's definitely not, like, a rugged, even like a Shea type that's going to, like, you know, bang bodies a little bit, or Slavin that, that can separate people from the puck. It's just not what he does, and that's kind of what you need in the playoffs. I'll just say this about Florida. Uh, I think they have a very bright future and things are definitely trending in the right direction for them. I just don't think they're quite ready yet. And they, I think mm-hmm. they've overachieved a little this year, partially because how well coached they are, uh, but also partially because of, you know, how weak the Hurricanes' division was beyond this, the, just the top teams. So I have a question for you guys while we're on the topic of Florida. I mean, obviously Florida was one of the more active teams at the deadline this year. If they do get bounced in the first round and if they don't make it to, you know, seven games or six games or however long it takes, would you consider their deadline to be a waste of the assets that they traded away? Well, I mean, probably. If you give up any assets at the deadline and you end up getting swept, which is looking pretty likely, I would be I would be pretty shocked if they win a game in this series, especially with how things have gone for them. I think you have to consider it a waste of assets unless you re-sign the players you brought in. And, you know, I'm just not sure with where that team is headed that re-signing a, a guy like Brandon Montour is really, you know, really a good decision for the group. Depends on what kind of money he's going to want. Yeah, he's um, had a rough series too. Yeah, he. it's just some, like their moves from an optical standpoint, like, I'm not sure how much they really improve the group overall. Um and, you know, Chris Drieger is obviously on his way out, and they're, they're going to lose some more pieces. So uh, I've got to assume that, you know, you, you've got to consider it a, a pretty meaningless deadline for them overall. Yeah, I mean, Sam Bennett, if he does stay, because I think he's an RFA still. Like, if he does stay, that's going to be huge. Um, yeah, he's really turned it around there. It's just, like, you've spent so much money on Sergei Bobrovsky, and you committed to him for so long. So, and you mentioned Chris Drieger being on the way out, and it just sucks for Florida because they invested so much into Sergei Bobrovsky and for so long. And now they have to get rid of the guy who's arguably been the better goalie this year. And granted, you do have Spencer Knight coming in, but still, I mean, 
if I were the Panthers, I'd be much happier getting rid of Sergei Bobrovsky and keeping Chris Drieger at this point. You know, unfortunately, that's just how it goes. But yeah. you give up a top a top forward prospect in Emil Heineman. You give up a second in next year's draft and a third, along with Henrik Borgstrom and Riley Stillman. I mean, you lose some solid pieces at the deadline. And if this is all you get from it, I, I've got to consider that a waste, you know? Yeah. Like in like again, I'm bringing it back to the Canes here. Uh, all things considered, what the Canes gave up wasn't too much compared to what some of these teams at the deadline were giving up. You know? Well, so yeah, they liked their group, right? And I know everybody hates to hear that term, but the Hurricanes had reason to. Um, yeah, we actually have reason to like our group now. <laughs> it's weird to say that and actually mean it, right, guys? Um, right. But I mean. I, I think they were right in what they did. They they wanted to add a little bit more punch on the back end and, you know, they got Flurry a better opportunity, Alex. I'm sorry. Um, they're, they're proving right now, we'll get to this in a little bit, that this team has the chemistry. They have the right pieces to be solid in every phase of the game. Um, I mean, there's no reason to make a move just to make a move. And I know a lot of us, me included, wanted to see some sniper come in to put this team over the top. But I think they're proving right now the way Tara Vinan's come in and plugged right in and, you know, everything else has happened that they were good. Now with Florida, they matched up against teams like Tampa Bay and Carolina and saw we're not good. You know, if we run into this team in the playoff series, how the hell are we going to beat them? We're just probably not. Um, so in that sense, I mean, it, you don't you only get so many chances to compete for a Stanley Cup, you know, and this is something I kind of harp on a lot around trade deadline time. When you have a chance, you need to go for it and you need to do whatever you think puts your team in the best position to win. But then again, when you go in and it's still not enough, you're kind of left sitting around looking like, well, what the hell did we do here? So it's a, it's a tough balance to strike between thinking about the future and not sacrificing it and trying to win in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I just think Florida may have jumped the gun a little bit. And, yeah. you know, based on the season they had, maybe they thought they were a little closer than they reasonably were. Kind of hard to fault them for that because they did have a really good season. And, you know, they, they battled hard during the regular season. But, I mean, just you're seeing the lack of an experience. And on top of that, the experience that Tampa has. I was going to say, they, and they, you're running they, into Kucherov and Stamkos. Exa- exactly. They've just imposed their will on that series. And just it's just – yeah it's just they, they don't have enough they're just not ready yet it's no no fault of their own but it, florida's just not quite there yet and uh they, they've had a good season but they've had a good run so next up the other series that i was thinking we probably don't need to spend a ton of time on which i mean i'm not saying we don't need to talk about it let me just throw that out there but one that's probably already in the books um it's kind of the, what i'm alluding to here and that would be the colorado avalanche and the st louis blues um, there's definitely one thing I want to talk about, at least for a minute, even though I don't want to start, you know, going off on a tangent about the NHL having no idea what the hell they're doing and not disciplining their players. But the Nazem Kadri hit on Justin Falk was pretty disgusting. Malicious. Yeah, yeah, it was a bad hit. I mean, look, I, when I was playing hockey, one of the best times to line somebody up is right after they shoot it or like are off balance and like really move forward because they're off balance and you can absolutely light them up pretty easily. And that's how some of the best hits I ever had came about. But 
So I understand the implication of taking a shot at a guy that's coming across the middle. What I don't understand is clearly aiming for his head when just going straight into his body, even a sturdy guy like Falk, you're going to lay him out because he's still off balance. And you just extend upwards violently right to the head. A repeat offender like Nazem Kadri, and I like his game in so many instances. I like him as a player, but then he does something like this, and I'm just like, get that shit out of the game, dude. Like, I'm so tired of seeing mm-hmm. this crap. You know, and like, it's, we just saw it with the Eagles suspended Rafi Torres for a whole season for less. Well, that's kind of where I was going with this. It's like, what do you guys think? should be the outcome here for Kadri. How long? Well, I mean, let's be honest, man. The Department of Player Safety has been dropping the ball on this stuff all right. year. I have no faith and, we'll get it right. Like, it's just, uh, I'm not even, like, as as crappy as it is to say, I just, I'm, I'm, all, I'm like, I'm not even really surprised. Yeah. Like, how sad is yeah. that to say? Like, I'm not surprised that they f***ed up and got it wrong. Yep. Um, You know, beyond just that, like the Matt Benning play on Jordan Martinook from game two was just, it was just such a shitty play. Like how, how do you not at least take a look at that as well? Maybe a suspension or at least a fine. Like that's not oh, with Martinook getting punched. Yeah. In taking the face. six punches to the head while he's on the ground. The guy takes his gloves off. Yeah. Like it's just, I, I just, I don't know what's going through the league's office. Like I don't know what they're doing there. What are they watching that that's different from anything we're seeing? And it's not just us. It's the entire hockey community that has, yeah. has been, you know, actively against. And I've never seen the community in, in such agreement on, on, you know, on some of these plays, like the Wilson play and now the Kadri play. And, you know, the entire hockey community is in unison on this. And the league still can't get it right. I just, I so, would love, I would love an explanation from what exactly is going on from Peros and his group. I like, I, I'm just bewildered. You know what? Like I'm gonna flat I'm gonna flat out say it. George Peros and the entire Department of Player Safety are pushovers. <laughs> yeah, like what are they doing? Because if, if this was say say for example, I'm gonna throw out like a not so great NHL player. Like say this was Ben Sherat, for example. You know, a guy who realistically is like your sixth best defenseman. Yeah, a five six. Yeah. If he lays out that hit, we're talking 10 games. If he's, if he's, you know, you take the exact same history that Kadri has, put it on Sherat, for instance, he's going out at least the rest of the series. He might even get suspended into the regular season. Yeah. And then, but I feel like in the NHL, and, th- and this is the dumbest shit, that there's a double standard for if you're just a depth role player or if you're like a top six forward or a star. Cause Tom Wilson, even though I think most of his points are just because of Ovechkin and Backstrom, it, like he's a top six player on the Washington Capitals. So he's not, he's going to be, he's not going to be held to as high of a, I guess he's not going to be punished as much as what well, I'm Well, he's getting to say. away with murder right now. Let's be right. honest. Same with, uh, Nazem Kadri, who, yes, he was offered a five-game suspension, and I hope to God that he gets, you know, upwards of five-plus games. Yeah. Because, I mean, and it's not because I'm hoping for the Avalanche to lose or anything. It's just because, I, I, like, you need to take that out of the game. And in order to actually punish players for doing stuff that's illegal, 
need to cut the you shit with the five thousand dollar fines. Like, yeah, it's not you need doing some accountability anything. or things are gonna it, it's gonna escalate and get worse because if players right. start thinking they can routinely get away with this stuff, it, things aren't gonna get better. Because Wilson Wilson knows at this point, and Kadri probably too, that George Peros isn't gonna do jack fucking shit. Like he knows that, and so he knows which lines to cross because. Okay, if he does get suspended for like a game or two, it's not gonna matter. Like he'll still get paid afterwards. He'll still, you know, yep. he he just gets to sit at home for two days. Like no, there needs to be like legitimate conversations for these guys, and you need to start by suspending it early and cutting it immediately. Well, the thing is that you know most players in today's game have enough respect to not cross the line like that. So it's not something that you need to. To, to overly focus on and worry about, but it's the guys, the repeat offenders, the guys like Wilson and, you know, now Kadri kind of falls into that category of, you know, they keep doing the same stuff over and over. They're obviously not learning no matter how much you find them, no matter how much you suspend them. So uh, like, it's a tough line on what to draw on, on like what to do. Do you suspend them longer? Do you increase your fines? Like, I don't know how to fix it. Are you going to ban them from the league? Like, I'm not sure, but I do know the answer isn't just do nothing and just, you know, completely just kind of toss the problem to the side as the NHL has done lately. Because doing nothing is not helping anybody. And yeah. say what you will about the Rangers statement, um, but props to them for having the the balls, balls to say <laughs> that things need to change. Again, the owner was kind of out of line in firing the GM and president of the team for not agreeing with him and not standing by him. But I have no problems with the statement because I think they were saying what everybody else was thinking. Absolutely. And hockey culture, again, got in the way. And then everybody's reporting that all these GMs and executives are like, oh, I think it was terrible what they said. Ugh. As if, you know, they're not all thinking the same thing. Like, if it hap- if, if they won't, like, think the same way when it happens to their player, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's right. ridiculous. The NHL has a problem. But, I mean, Colorado is still the, unquestionably the better team in that series. And I think, you know, I don't think it's over. I, I still think, you know, St. Louis has the talent to at least, you know, steal a game or two. But I do think Colorado comes out ahead. Yeah, I, I've watched both games, uh, a majority of both. And, you know, I've actually been surprised with how how well St. Louis has kind of responded when they've gone down. I mean, they went down 3 nothing in game two. And, you know, they fought back pretty hard. Obviously, the Kadri penalty was a five-minute major. So they, they got an extended power play that kind of brought them back into the game. But, you know, they had a good pushback. You can see their experience level. Um, even without their leading scorer, David Perron, they're, they're creating a lot of opportunities um, Philip Grubauer has definitely impressed me for Colorado. He's he's been better than I think I I was expecting from him. Um, but my God, man, is is Colorado ever good? Uh, just their speed, their skill. Uh, I mean, Nathan McKinnon just took that game over last night, and um, even some of their some of their kind of lower tier moves that you know maybe didn't get a ton of press because of how good they already are. Um, the the acquisition of Devin Taves, I'm not sure really got a whole lot of spotlight, but man, what an addition he's been to that group. And uh, I've been super impressed with him throughout two games. So they're, they're going to be a tough team for anybody in this league to beat uh, yeah. for, for, as of right now, I think they're, they might be my favorite. 
Yeah, I was actually going to bring up Devontae's as well. Um, that blue line's really good. You know, Ryan Grades, Kale McCarr. Uh, obviously, McKinnon's just like on another level than just about anybody not named Connor McDavid. Um, they've got depth, and and goaltending was really my big question for them. And I'm I'm right there with you. Philip Grubauer has been really really good for them. Um, yeah, he stood on his head. He's been. Yeah, he's it's been it's gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna be really tough for St. Louis. Um, you know, Tarasenko. I, I feel like I haven't heard like anything out of him this year. He's really had a down year. He's been hurt a lot, and he hasn't shown up in the playoffs really either. Um, I, I, I don't know. And Falk yeah, was such he, a he big was part. Of, yeah, Falk was such a big part of what they do. You know, he's probably their really their number two defenseman they trust after Colton Pareko, and you know that's that's a huge loss for them too. I don't know. I haven't really heard much about how bad that is. We don't, you know, we won't really know how long he's going to be out. That's obviously another concussion situation, but yeah, it's going to be tough for St. Louis to come back, even if they were fully healthy. So that series is probably just about a wrap. Order. <laughs> Prime listening content right there. <laughs> no, I think we should just skip that. All right. We think that was a foregone conclusion, I guess. Well, All right. No, that, that was regular season games. <laughs> That's uh, kind of the joke. Oh, Matt, shut up, Matt! I was I was awake until one. I'm so exhausted. Like, no joke. I'm barely like functioning today. It's okay. We can move on to um, Vegas and Minnesota, which is actually kind of emerged as one of the better series in the league as far as you know competitiveness in the games. Um, you know, before the series, I probably didn't give Minnesota the credit they deserved. I thought that Vegas was gonna. I, I thought it would be maybe five, six games tops. I thought Vegas was going to impose their will pretty quickly and, you know, make quick work of them. But I've been impressed with Minnesota. I mean, they fight hard. Uh, they haven't backed down at all. And, you know, Cam Talbot, he's just been incredible. Um, I I definitely didn't put enough stock into his how good his performance would be, um, you know, just with the track record of him and, you know, kind of how his career has gone the last couple of years. I, I didn't expect him to be this good. I actually thought Kockinen would be their starter. But – you know they're good. They're uh, Minnesota's been impressive, and I still I still like Vegas as a favorite in this series. I do think they're going to get it done. I mean, they just have too much talent not to. Um, yeah. And just Mark Andre Fleury's also been incredible. But uh, it's been a good series to watch. I'm excited to watch that game three tonight. Yeah. Um. So I tweeted about this the other day. I'm pretty sure Minnesota was like five one and two or something like that against Vegas in the regular season. And yeah. I was saying, like, people need to pay a little bit more attention to this series. Like, it's going to be a battle because Minnesota's really fun, man. I mean, obviously, they've got Kaprizov, who has been spectacular in his rookie season. Um, they got uh, some guys that have kind of broken out, like uh, Jordan Greenway, Joel Erickson Eck, some guys that have had, you know, been in that um, system for a while now that are really starting to come into their own. And obviously, they've got some talent on their blue line as well with guys like Brodine and Dumba. Um, I'm right there with you. I, I really don't think they're actually going to win this series, but I do think they're going to put a lot more stress on Vegas than, you know, you originally thought they would. But Vegas, they just got too much. They're going to come out on top eventually, in my opinion. Yeah, this is the probably one uh, team that Vegas did not want to see other than Colorado. Mm-hmm. Like, they would have been thrilled with St. Louis or any other team in that division. But Minnesota has had their number all season long, and Victor Minnesota's Rath, a good strong. team. I think they're definitely <laughs> they've turned it around after whatever mess that Paul Fenton era was. <laughs> I mean, 
they've done you know what they they've done a really good job bouncing back and while i don't think this is the year year they're they're pretty close i i like their odds of being you know a cup favorite maybe two three years from now yeah, they yeah, have a good gonna... use system yeah but exactly. you know how crazy is it uh with Zach Parisi being um, a healthy scratch in each of their first two games, he's still signed. Uh, I think he's still got a few more years on his deal. Uh, if you, they signed him for what a life con- lifetime contract. Yeah, pretty um, much. <laughs> yeah, he's hit a pretty steep decline pretty quickly. Um, well, what do you guys see as a future for him? He looked pretty toasted a couple of times I saw him. You know, his game used to be kind of predicated on speed and obviously skill. He's kind of a smaller guy. Um, he. You know, 18 points in 40. so hard for a guy that He does, he does, he does. And he had 18 points, which isn't like, that's not unplayable. You know, that's more, that's more than half of the Nashville, you know, star players had, which part of that is injuries. But, I mean. I just, he's I've got to be honest. He's on contract until 2025. Oh, man. Like, see, I've got to be oh, honest, man. man. Like, based on his experience level and, like, I, I haven't watched him closely enough this year to know how he's played. But man, I just I can't believe that they wouldn't at least want him in their bottom six with the with the experience and leadership he pr- provides, and you know what he's meant to that group overall. I just yeah, he he must have really hit a sharp decline very quickly if if they don't at least want him in a fourth line role. Yeah, that is kind of surprising to me as well because the guys they've got in their bottom six right now are like Nico like Stern, Bukestad. who actually has been pretty good. Bukes said, yeah, he's is he, yeah, um, Bukes is not very good either, so that's kind of surprising to me. Nick Benigno. Yeah, it's just surprising. Some of these guys have had better seasons than I kind of expected. Marcus Foligno had 26 points in 39 games. I, I haven't watched enough of Minnesota, obviously, as I sit here and look through how some of those seasons have gone. But um, Granlund was kind of, you know, he's a big guy, a power forward, grinder, physical type. That's the kind of guy that goes a long way in the playoffs, especially if he's going to put up the kind of numbers he apparently has this season. Um. They've got some pieces there, man. It's, I mean, it's like we've been saying. I like Greenway and Erickson a, a lot. You know, I mentioned those guys a minute ago. They're young. They're both pretty physical. They're big guys. Been a bit of a pick. slow burn from him, um, but he's he's come around, he's come along pretty nicely. Uh, yeah, I, I find that with a lot of their prospects, uh, they they really take their time to develop their guys. So when they do get to the NHL, um, you know, even after a couple of years of kind of settling in. Um, you know, you're seeing a lot of these guys start to impact games the right way now for them. And, right. you know, Jordan Greenway is another example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of all in agreement there. Um, but if you haven't watched that series yet, I definitely highly suggest you do. Um, those are two That's pretty good, good teams. Yeah, definitely. All right. So moving right along. Um, next, we'll talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders. Uh, this is another series that is happening right now. They split the first two games. And actually, the Islanders just scored to make it three to two. Uh, Pittsburgh is leading in the third period. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck, that uh, nasty fourth line that the Islanders have that always seems to show up big time in the playoffs, has just uh, got the goal to got the, get them within one goal in the third period. As I said, I can't talk right now, apparently. Uh, leave me alone. But um, Pittsburgh, it, you know, it almost feels like they're kind of undervalued or like underrated at this stage. Cause I mean, they've been around for so long and maybe it's just like, well, it's like prospect fatigue when you know you have a guy that's everybody's been talking about for a long time. It's, it's the same deal. People are just tired of hearing about them. They still got Sidney Crosby. They've still got guys like Chris Letang. They've still got Evgeny Malkin, uh, Jason Zucker. I mean, there's a lot of pieces on that team. Um, 
Kasperi Kapanen's had a pretty good year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so is Jared McCann. Um, Jared McCann has been a big breakout guy for them. Yep, okay. Um, Jake Gensel, obviously, is another big-time goal scorer. Their blue line makes me nervous a little bit because, like, they play Cody Cece. But other than that, I mean, that's that's a team that people probably need to pay attention to as well, um, especially if Tristan Jari is going to continue to play at the level he has been. So you've got Pittsburgh as your favorite? Over the Islanders, for sure. Yeah, I just – for me, I think it could really go either way. Um, I, I believe in the Islanders a lot, especially after what they did in the bubble last year. Um, you know, just basically everything that's gone on with that team since Barry Trotz came in and, you know, has implemented the structure that he has. They, they, they just – they don't give you anything offensively. Like they play very hard, very good structure, very good system. And, you know, their goaltending can really win games for them. Uh, Simeon Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin have both had good seasons. Um, I, I like the Islanders and uh, I just, my one concern with them would be, you know, can they get enough consistent scoring from their top guys? Um, you know, JG Pajot is always a great uh, playoff performer dating back to his Ottawa days and, he, he had a great, great game one. I didn't really watch much of the second game, but, you know, they are without Anders Lee, which is a big loss for them. Oh. Um, so it's going to be a big concern about how much uh, Matt Barzell shows up. He's kind of been a little pedestrian in the series so far. I don't think he had a point before tonight. He's got an assist. So, you know, they're, they're going to need a little more from him if they want to get this done. But uh, I, I think it can go either way. I'm leaning towards Pittsburgh a little, but uh, it's it's a good series to watch. Yeah, that is a good series for sure. And, I mean, this is kind of something we've talked about as well, is the Islanders, that's kind of like, I don't want to say a gimmick style, but it's like we saw what the Hurricanes did to them two years ago. Once they get matched up with, like, a really skilled yeah. team, they can get overpowered. Yeah, if you can break them down, you can definitely overpower them. But yeah. they frustrate teams. Absolutely. And they haven't gotten much out of Palmieri, and Zajac isn't even in the lineup. Is he hurt, or is he just – Well, Pal- Palmieri did score the game one OT winner. So you oh, did he? credit for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did. Well, I knew he had struggled and to fit in there a little bit. and Also um, off topic, but uh, Florida just tied the game 5-5. Did they? Wow. They did. All right. A lifeline for the Florida. Gustav Forsling, baby. I, see, I told you, man. Big clutch, the former Hurricane right there. Or, well, One yeah. goal doesn't define you as a player. <laughs> just ask Hayden Flurry. Got him. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Oh man, how do how do I disconnect this man from this <laughs> right here? He's trying to kick uh, you. All right, and the last series, the series that we are all three hoping the two just beat the crap out of each other and get swept to the side by whoever does advance from the series, is everybody's two favorite teams to hate, the Washington Capitals and the Boston Bruins. I have tried like hell to avoid watching the series, but I still find myself watching it. I don't know. This night was funny as hell. I'm I not going to lie. I just hate myself. Yeah. Um, seeing in in overtime uh, a Ty Conklin level of gaff <laughs> behind the net. Yep. Yep. Um, resulting in the overtime winner for Boston. And again, it's not me cheering for Boston so much as me cheering against Washington. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, hear you. But seeing Ovechkin screaming, <laughs> can't even talk. Seeing Ovechkin screaming at, uh, I think it was Sam yeah, Sonov. Yeah. yeah, seeing him oh, absolutely oh, light right, up right. Sam Sonov on the bench it might have been the funniest thing I've ever seen. 
<laughs> like, I've got to be honest, man. I, I feel terrible for Samsonov. Oh, me too. After the game he had, it's just to lose a game like that, man, I just I feel terrible for the kid. Yeah. And he had been he really was incredible had Alex Ladokovich and that never would have happened. <laughs> well, see, yeah. even if they left my man Craig Anderson in net, like... You just you don't mess with the Craig Anderson energy. You got him <laughs> in there. You gotta ride him. He never would have made that mistake. No, right. no way. Too much veteran it's savvy. Just, you know what? Again, this is another one of those series where I, I'm not hoping for any injuries or anything. I'm just hoping that the team that wins this series is tired and loses to the winner of the Pittsburgh uh, Islanders series. That's what I'm saying. I just hope they beat the crap out of each other, and whoever's left has nothing left. That's all I want. That's what I was also hoping for the Tampa Florida series, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> hey, man, it's like currently five five, and Tampa's up uh, two games to none. So late comeback, big comeback. I don't know. It yeah, seems like I'm Florida just keeps making backbreaking mistakes. Well, both wrong both times, teams so we'll now see. have blown two goal leads in this game, so anything's possible. For sure. Um. So who you guys like in the Washington Boston series? Yeah, I'm kind of with Matt on this one. I just, I, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> you know, I, like, my own personal opinion would be, I think I'd rather Washington come out of it. As much as I hate to say that, just because if I'm the Hurricanes, I just, I just don't want us to have to face Boston again. Yeah, you know, I, I even though I feel like we can beat them, I just, I'm not, I, I'm not like emotionally ready for it. You know, just, just because of how the last two years have gone, I would just. I'd rather face Washington if it came down to it, just because we already know we can beat them. We've done it before. We can repeat that. And I just I just still don't love how we match up against Boston. Confidence so, is a funny thing, man. And, like, again, the Hurricanes do play a very confident game. They always come out fast, it seems like, against Washington for the most part. And Boston, I, I tweeted this the other day, I think they just might be a little bit in the Hurricanes' head. And it's like they see that sweater and they their buttholes get tight a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, they've also really picked up their game uh, as the season's gone on. I remember, like, midway through the season, we all had a conversation on one podcast about how much trouble Boston was in. Yeah, we did. Um, and then, you know, they made a couple moves at the deadline. Uh, they got healthy. I think Tuka Rask came back in action. He's back in form. And uh, they, they, it's just been a 180 there. Swayman was great, though. But, I mean, I Taylor mean, Hall has gone way better than I expected. Yeah, me too. What I'm hoping for... Is you see, I'm actually hoping that Boston wins, and I'll tell you why. You guys remember how good Washington was after they finally beat Pittsburgh the year they won the cup? Yeah, that's what I want from the Canes. I want to see them beat Boston. That, is, that would you be, want to see is, us get I, them. I feel like now, after like losing it. to them two years in a row, you need to have a win in a series, you need to win a series against the Boston Bruins. <laughs> in order what? to just like get it. over that hump and put yeah. that in the past because even if the canes go 16 and 0 and win the cup this year and don't face the bruins we're still going to have people talking the next time we face the bruins about how the canes had lost two series in a row to the bruins yeah, yeah. like it, it's gonna be it's not going to be quite the same as washington pittsburgh because you know they're we're not in the same division as the bruins but I think in order for the Canes to kind of get over that hump, that's what they need to take the next step. Yeah. And speaking of Pittsburgh, I did forget to mention, but Jeff Carter has been phenomenal. Yeah, he has. For the Penguins this year. Another pickup. Ever since that trade, that has been, that's the best deadline acquisition. He looks rejuvenated. 
I thought they gave up too much for him based off where he was. I just, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect the Islanders tie it. Islanders just tied it on the power play. Anthony Beauvillier. Heck yeah. I'd rather see the Islanders win over Pittsburgh any day of the week. Yeah, I I think I would agree with that for sure. Noah Dobson, who you guys were trashing the other day with the assist. Well, he he had a terrible game. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. You know what, folks? We've spent enough time talking about these small market teams. Yeah, garbage. It's time to talk about the team that plays in the center of the hockey universe, Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. That is your Carolina Hurricanes. I'm sure it's Raleigh-Durham Fayetteville now. Yeah, right, according to Gas Buddy. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're up 2 nothing against the Nashville Predators. Um, first game we go up and win 5-2 after a phenomenal third period, and then the uh, game two, it's just a complete effort resulting in a 3 nothing win. What are you guys' thoughts? Um, so for game one, um, you know, that, that was the one that I was probably at least a little bit nervous about because the Hurricanes have been playing out the stretch. You know, they, they really didn't have anything to play for, and they didn't look great the last couple of games. Nashville, on the other hand, has been fighting for their playoff lives. They've been basically in playoff mode for weeks already. And I, I didn't know if the Hurricanes would, you know, maybe take a minute to get situated within the game. Um, and, and they didn't start great. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. But Stephen Lorenz, man, Philip Forsberg scored that goal to go up, and then Stephen Lorenz shot out of a cannon, goes in, creates a scoring chance with his speed, shows his forechecking ability and uh, puck retrieval, wins a battle in the corner or a race, one of the two, gets the puck to the point. Just and what a minute and a half later, gets the puck to the point for a pesky shot, terrifying and deflected it in, and right then and there, I was like, all right, Nashville's in trouble. And that just seemed beautiful. To- yeah. Beautiful screen in yeah. front by yep, Jordan yep. Martinuk too. Yep, it was. Um, and and you know they didn't really take off from there. It still took them a little while to get going, but I still think that you know so far has been the biggest goal in the series, just to you know not even give Nashville the chance to grab any momentum. Um, but the second half of that game, and especially the third period, was really how the Hurricanes want to play. Uh, Alex Nedeljkovic was a little bit shaky early on the Forsberg goal, not his fault, but he, he even said post game, he kind of a little overzealous there and opened up a little bit. Um, and he had some juicy rebounds he left as well. But after that, I mean, he's been just sensational since then, uh, especially in game two. Um, and in the third period of game one, you know, that, that was how the hurricanes want to play. You know, they were relentless on the four check making plays, creative plays. Trocek has looked really, really good, I think, which has been a big key for me. Is, is he um, ever going to score another goal? I, yeah, that's the one thing is he's snake-bitten, and Soros has made some great saves on him. I, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to make a hot take. Trocek is scoring in game three. I, I think All it's right. going to come. Uh, he's been playing. He's right there. He just hasn't gotten the results yet. You know, Soros has stoned him at least three times in the series already. Um, I think game three, he's going to break through and get back in the goal column. But it I mean, it's like a, very much like post trade deadline Trocheck. Yeah, from yeah. last like from year, last right? Season. When he just he was doing everything right, but just nothing right. was going his way. Like as far as puck luck goes. Yeah, it's just how many opportunities did he have last night? That you know, just great looks from the slot, and just you know, just missed by an inch, or just a phenomenal save by Saros. Exactly, he's right it's just, there. It's just going that way for him right now. Yeah. He's gonna break through, and I when he does break through, I have a feeling like it's gonna it's going to really accelerate to the point where he's, he's going to be a factor in every single game on the score sheet. 
it's going to be like the Panthers again, right? He's just going to feel like he's playing the Florida Panthers and uh, yeah, all of a sudden the goals are going to come in waves. I mean, the forward group yeah, you is know what? And they've, they've been so good. Ajo is like on another planet right now. He's been the best player um, for me in the first two games. Uh, you know, game one, he didn't get the results. Game two, he did. Uh, he was even physical, man. And, you know, that's something we're definitely going to talk about here a little bit is the physicality that all the Canes have shown. Um, but Ajo, I, I, he noted he laid at least three or four really, really solid hits, uh, knocking guys off the puck and onto their ass, actually. Um, he had that sweater letter confidence on and was uh, <laughs> really showing out. Well, you know what? The big takeaway for me um... – from game two last night was my God, what a defensive performance from the group uh, from every, every defenseman last night had, had a very, very good game. Um, you know, notably Brady Shea, I, I said on Twitter, like that is the best I've seen him in a hurricanes uniform. Uh, that man was just outstanding last night and, you know, to shut out the predators, um, you know, uh, a lot of that credit as well goes to Alex Nadelkovich. He was just outstanding once again, but you know, to shut out the predators and really, you know, really limit how much they were able to kind of create offensively without Jacob Slavin in the lineup is a testament to how deep that group is and, you know, how much they really believe in themselves and the overall structure of the group. I mean, you know, both Jake's on defense last night, Jake Bean defending that three on one, like he looked like Slavin out there with that diving poke check, just a phenomenal play from him. And even though, you know, Forsberg did walk him pretty good in the second period, he still battled. He hugged, he, he, he hung in there. Uh, he fought. He hasn't backed down. He looks confident out there. And, um, you know, beyond just him, I think a lot of people owe an apology to Jake Gardner after, you know, making him out to be the, you know, the, the worst thing since Tom Wilson after that uh, that <laughs> last game of the season there. Um, you know, people, they, they were talking about buying him out and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, Jake Gardner was, he was sensational last night. Um, that, that was that was genuinely, genuinely one of his best performances in a Hurricanes uniform, despite not playing that much. Him in and nine Bean, whole minutes. Yeah, yeah, him and Bean, their, their, their ice time was very limited, which, you know, Rod said, um, you know, just because of how shorthanded the Hurricanes were, a lot of guys didn't really get into the game. And but for for how much, how little he and uh, Bean played, I thought both those guys really made their minutes count. They were both very noticeable in a good way for the team. I don't ever want to hear Brady Shea slander again. No, man. I saw somebody mention last night of how, you know, Rod really is the best coach that Brady Shea has had since he got into the NHL. Yeah. And it's pretty clear. But there are a few things that I want to touch on. Um, Because first, I think it's unfair to talk about, you know, this series without talking about how great um, the Canes penalty kill has been. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we saw in game two that the Hurricanes – I mean, I don't even want to say the penalty kill was great. It was flat-out dominant. Like, Nashville couldn't establish possession. They couldn't establish any sort of zone time. The Canes outchanced them. And it's just, I mean, you couldn't ask for – I mean, sure, shorthanded goals would have been nice. But, I mean, other than that, you could not have asked for a better penalty kill last night. Well, and, and one other thing I want to think about, Pesci getting 28 minutes and Shea getting 27, or almost 28. He was 27-43, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, over nine minutes for both of those guys came on the penalty kill. It's another thing that's been said a couple of times. And that's with Pesci t- taking two of those penalties. Yeah, yeah. But and guys about- like Warren Fogle, I think Jordan Stahl might have had a penalty last night as yeah. well. Like you're, 
the penalties came to key penalty killers, and that's it's just crazy how good the Canes were even without those guys. When you're thinking about that ice time, though, those over nine minutes, but think about the style the Hurricanes play on the penalty kill. It's so aggressive. It's a relentless pressure penalty kill. It's kind of unlike any – yeah, and it's unlike any – really any other penalty kill in the entire league. A lot of coaches have come right out and said that. So think about the taxing minutes that Pesci and Shea played and still playing half the game, basically. Like, you know, it's getting a lot of attention, but I still don't think it's getting enough attention because it's like those guys are so hard on the puck and they're having to sprint back into position to get back into the box to make sure the lanes are closed up. And then they're sprinting out to, you know, pressure the puck again. And the other thing, the next highest – defenseman for time on ice in the penalty kill was 343 with Yanni Hackenpah. <laughs> well, I mean, beyond, beyond Pesci and Shea, without Jacob Slavin in the lineup, how much do you trust any of those other four on the penalty kill? I mean, I guess Hockenpah Yanni Hockenpah fine. has been good this series. He has. He definitely has. I love that one I don't one understand. Shift. He was chasing Alex, I'm going to roast you in a bit. Back. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready. But first, I want to I want to say probably I don't know if it's a hot take necessarily, but it's definitely something that isn't getting talked about. I firmly believe that Brett Pesci has been the Canes' best player through the first two games. Yeah, like, I, yes, he's it, leading I the mean, team it's in hard points. To disagree with that. Like he's leading the team in points, which is funny because he doesn't have a goal. He is, I mean, just on all sides of the game. Both sides of the puck, offensive, he's defenses. So he's been so good. Yeah, he's he's matching to the physicality well. He's killing all those penalties. I mean, he's eating up minutes, which he he did anyways. But I mean, in the playoffs, I'd say you know he's when you get the tougher matchups. I mean, those tough matchups become that much more important when you have to shut down these guys because now there's something really at stake. Yeah, like it's just with Brett Pesci. Sometimes I feel maybe he doesn't quite get the shower of praise that he maybe deserves, is because of how steady and how consistently good he is. That you know when he's playing this well, it's just like oh, you know, just another game at the just another day at the office for Brett Pesci. It's just what he does. But when you know when a guy like Brady Shea, who just really, really, really elevates his game last night to maybe a level we just haven't seen from him. Um, it's just easier to notice that kind of thing, which is, you know, fair and unfair to a guy like Brett Pesci, who, you know, maybe doesn't get quite the credit he deserves when he plays that well, but it's because he's always playing that well. We've talked about Brett Pesci. Um, who do you, who else has stood out in this series in a good way? Because I've, I've got a couple more, but I, you know, I also want to make sure I'm not I've, the only um, one talking. I, you know, Warren Fogle only played about 10 minutes last night, but I've been impressed with his game through these first – do both of the first two games he's been extremely strong on the puck he just when when the playoffs come around he just looks like a different player you know even since about the beginning of april i think i said in our group chat last night about the last 15 games or so he's just really really found his game he just looks so so confident and so strong on the puck uh he's attacking guys one-on-one making his power moves getting to the front of the net um he he just does a lot of the little things uh, that you want in a playoff series. I mean, never never gives an inch, um, never takes a second off. He's always relentless on the motor. So uh, I've really liked his game. I think it's just just a matter of time before he puts one in and starts to break through offensively. You know, kind of maybe how he did against Washington a couple of years ago. He's just he's really been noticeable in a good way. 
Um, and I think his impact has gone a little unnoticed. He's yeah. built for playoff hockey. Yeah, oh, I, was, yeah. I was talking about Lorenz a minute ago. And oh, I, yeah. I think Lorenz, was... friend of the pod, Stevie Lorenz. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they both fall into that category where totally. it's just they look hungry, you know. And, and that's kind of what the playoffs are about. It's about sacrificing, laying it out on the line and battling. And Steven Lorenz and Warren Fogle have both been kind of the quintessential battlers for the season they you know they're they're hounding every puck they're making things happen out there they're creating offense I mean Lorenz still snake bitten once again I mean I just things would start going for him a little bit you know and, and Fogel's kind of right there too and I think you're right eventually Fogel's going to start to get some goals um and just he, he's already well didn't he get the last one last night didn't he when he banked that one in yeah, I mean it was yeah. it was quote a fluky goal, but yeah. I mean, hey, they yeah, all yeah, the right. game was really decided. But right. yeah, I mean, make your own um, beyond just him, I also have um, Nino Niederreiter, who was actually my X factor from the pod last week. That's right, uh, man. He's just been. I mean, you, you can't say enough about him. I mean, he's just fantastic all season, and he's just he's just continued, just brought his player right into the playoffs and even elevated even more. So I mean, he's just. He's just been incredible for the team all year. Yeah, I, I'm the whole team has been great. I think there's not a single player on. That's this what team I was gonna say. Like, is there any team. really any one player that you can point out and say hasn't contributed in a good way? That's what I said on Twitter today. Like, to make a long playoff run, you need everybody contributing. You can't have any passengers at all. You need everyone playing at their highest level and really contributing to the overall group. And I, I don't think the Hurricanes have had anybody that doesn't fit in that category. I can't think of a bad performance from any player. On that note, that's why I think it's such a good sign that Andrei Svechnikov has been buzzing to start the first couple of games. These and guys, he only played 12 minutes last night. He and was he, noticeable. Again, so we were shorthanded for 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Nino, Nino <laughs> also only played 12 said. minutes. Both of those guys played 12 yeah, minutes like, last well, night. Like, and still like, made an like Rod said um, in his post-game presser, you know, with, with – but the way the just the whistle was just going nonstop in those first two periods, just a lot of guys can get settled into the game. And really, like Rod said, it was a pretty shitty game overall. And I'd have to agree, man. It wasn't a great viewing pleasure. No. Yeah. It, it, was, was, it was a pretty bad pretty, game to pretty, watch. It was pretty boring to watch. Yeah. Um. So I do want to I do want to say that um, Svech has been good. I mean, his pass on the Aho goal was beautiful. Beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean. That's what you need is you need him to be one of your top players. And I think he's going to be really, really good. He's another guy that's made say for that, playoff um, hockey, you know? Well, speaking of guys that are made for playoff hockey, Yanni Hockenpah has, I mean, when the Canes average, you know, 54 hits through the first, <laughs> each of the first two games, you know, like that's, that's pretty good. I'd say. Well, yeah, um, that one physicality shift. has been noticeable. He had like what four hits on Ely yeah, behind the back was, on one shift within ridiculous. ten seconds of each other. You guys remember that shift? Yeah, yeah, I do. He he. It's just one of those things where even without the physicality, I like how he's jumping into the play. I like that he is. Um, he's making the plays that he needs to. He's being physical. I mean, he he's as advertised, you know. Yeah. And I mean. Alex, you mentioned that his skating was a bit of an issue, and I would actually argue that it isn't only because the Hurricanes only have one defenseman on their entire roster whose foot speed is just average. That's Dougie Hamilton. You yeah. you wouldn't you you would classify Hawkinpaw as above average? I think he's a little better than Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, 
Because because oh, Hamilton, <laughs> I think Hamilton's what six six, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about that one either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, six 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 seven. They're both they're both roughly the same height, and I mean for big for guys that big, skating is usually not you both, yeah, uh, their not strongest their strong suit. suit, yeah. But they can make up for it with their stride, and I think that's what Hockenpod does is he just has a really long stride, so he can close that gap a little quicker than maybe he he would if he had the same skating ability and was like you know six foot like his, so, uh, i'm not sure what the biggest problem with hawk and pot i'm not sure if it's his foot speed or how slow he turns like there was one play last night in the third period it was still a one nothing game a predator took the puck right at the hurricanes blue line i think it was yarn croak i'm not 100 percent sure who it was it doesn't really matter but you know hawk and pot was in a perfect defensive position and he he was just planted like a tree. He just got burnt. Um, he didn't even move, and the guy walked in for a perfect chance. Beauty saved by Nadelkovic, but I think it would have got more attention had the guy actually scored. Um, and, you know, I feel a little bit like Hawk and Paw, a, like a little bit of his defensive miscues don't really get pointed out because of how physical he is and, you know, how much of a breath of fresh air that is um, to the team overall that, you know, maybe some of his errors don't get pointed out as much. And, Listen, I try not to criticize anything I see because, you know, obviously Hayden Fleury was traded for him. So if, if I if I critique Hawk and Paw, it's like, oh, you're just salty about Hayden Fleury and this and that. <laughs> but I think it's valid. Like my two problems with Hawk and Paw are one, like I said, the foot speed. And, you know, I guess or it's either the agility or the foot speed or um, and also pinches ill-advised quite a bit. Yeah, his decision making can yeah, leave his, something to be his, desired. That, that's sometimes. what I mean. Yeah. His decision making for me is just, he, but he doesn't need to be doing that. Like that would be my one. If I had one problem with the Hurricanes' overall um, approach, is that everybody they bring in is expected to play the exact same way in the system, and we kind of saw how that affected, you know, Joel Edmondson's identity last year. And I just don't want this to morph into kind of the same situation where Hawk and Pop forgets his identity. Right, like he doesn't need to be jumping into the play. Just stay home. Let Jake Bean do the roaming, and just stay at home and defend. I think. I think in our system, I don't. I don't think he tells them to play a certain way. I think he gives them the freedom. Yeah. To jump in if they want to, and just and that's that's where fun. the decision making comes yeah, into play. Just it's, with how fun the Hurricanes are and the skill, it feels like guys forget what their identity is. Oh sure, and that's why you know every time Jake Gardner pinches, I I, I kind of worry a little bit because his foot speed still right, you know the recovery speed. Yeah, like the the recovery speed. He he has fine top speed. Yeah, but it's just you know the recovery part of it that makes you kind of tug on your collar a little bit. <laughs> but Hockenpot, I mean, you know what? He's been as advertised. If, if I agree. If the only thing he's good for in these playoffs is, you know, his physicality and the occasional defense, like that's fine. As long as he's not like actively a detriment to the team, which I don't think he has been so far. No, I'm no, I'm I cool totally with agree. it, you know? I totally agree. And if this is the stuff that we're really having to complain about, uh, like kind of things to nitpick at, obviously things have gone very well in these first two games. If this is my biggest complaint. Right. I want to also just ask you guys one one. One last thing, and this is all I have um, for the rest of the games. How important do you guys think it is? Um, or no, let me rephrase that question. Sorry, let me think about it real quick. Okay. How much of a vote of confidence does Lorenz have 
from Brindamore right now because he's started, I think, both games each period. Oh, yeah. In or he's started, I think, all six periods of this um, series so far. I, I could be wrong, but I feel like he's always taking the opening draw. And his line is there to basically set the tone. And I, I think that's huge, but I want to hear you guys' thoughts too. So he's actually been quite good on draws, one thing. Um, I actually haven't looked at his numbers in the postseason. I have noticed him winning a couple of big draws, especially like in the defensive zone, and he wins the faceoff, um, which has been a problem for some of the other guys, actually. But that's another topic. Um, and actually, I heard Trip Tracy talking about this on the aftermath last night. And that's that. Lorenz has gotten, you know, the full vote of confidence from Rod Brendamore. He trusts him pretty much implicitly at this point. He really doesn't worry about him that bad with like a matchup because he, he has been so good defensively turning pucks over and getting the moving back up ice. He's been fantastic at that. Obviously I already mentioned his um, forechecking and puck retrieval. Um, so I think it's a huge vote of confidence essentially is what I'm getting at. And he's earned it. Like he he's been kind of that tone setting fourth line forward that Nashville had been getting from Tanner Janot and Colton Sissons and those guys for why for a while. This that was really the spark that got them into the playoffs for me. It's something I talked about at length in my uh, preview post of the hockey writers was how big Nashville's fourth line had been to them and how much of an impact the fourth line matchup could have on this series. And it has. And it's been the Hurricanes fourth line yeah, grabbing that. I was going to say. And, you know, creating that for the Hurricanes. So, yeah, for sure. And Martin Nook has been good, too. Physical, um, mixing it up a little bit, getting his ass beat and getting a penalty for it. Besides the point. But, yeah, I, I, I really love what the fourth line has done. And Lorenz has been a gigantic part of that. Well, the entire fourth line, uh, like they've earned, they've earned everything they're getting. They've earned their minutes. They, they deserve to be out there. I mean, that group has just been phenomenal. Uh, you, you obviously know what Rod Brendamore's trust is in both McGinn and Martinuk. But at this point, man, um, with how good Steven Lorenz has been, and like he has been very, very noticeable. He doesn't look out of his element at all. He looks settled in. Um, at this point, I mean, you just you don't mess with the winning lineup, right? You don't mm-hmm. mess with the winning formula. I don't think at this point you can justify taking Lorenz out for Cedric Paquette or for anybody really um, based on how good he's been. I just I think he's earned that. And going forward, I think the 4C rule should belong to him. Yeah, yeah, Lorenz is here to stay. Yeah, um, should be. And also, I do want to point out um, these first two games should give you like a crystal clear reason or a view of why Jordan Martinuk is on this team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Martinuk is really this whole fourth line is built for this type of hockey. Yeah, and because McGinn's Martinuk, been playing with them too. Right? Usually, when he's not, yeah. you know taking a roughing penalty by getting punched in the face repeatedly on the ice. Um, (laughs) He does a really good job of getting under your skin. Yeah. And again, it's just, this is why, again, I know he's not going to be the weird fluky, you know, 15 goal scorer or however many goals he had. He's not going to be that guy. (laughs) And you know what? He was not brought in to be that guy. Yeah. This is the type of player that he is. And he is valuable on the ice. I've never understood the Martinuk um, hate. I just think people were expecting a little too much for him when he, you know, went out and had the season that he had because he was playing with a world-class talent in Svechnikov. Yeah, you know what? I'll be the first to admit I was a little tough on Martinuk. Um, 
But I do appreciate what he's done. I mean, he's been great in these first two playoff games. My only thing was, you know, seeing how Mad Max kind of impacted things down the line and the physical element he brought. That would be kind of my only reasoning for, you know, maybe making a switch um, before the series. At this point, no no chance I consider that. Uh, and, you know, good thing, Rod, good thing Rod didn't uh, listen to me. But uh, that would be my only reasoning for it. As far as Jordan Martin goes, you know, there's a reason Rod Brindamore trusts him so much. It's because he can be relied on, right? And it's because, you know, he's played with the same identity his entire career. Even when he was playing on the first line a couple of years ago with Aho and Svechnikov, uh, he kept the same identity. He always plays the exact same way. So you know exactly what you're getting from him. And, you know, we, we've seen how valuable of a piece he is to this group. For sure. And Ryan Lombard just scored for the Florida. Florida just won in overtime, yeah. by the way. Dude, okay, Ryan Lombard. He's five foot nine, one hundred eighty-seven. Lumber makes no sense to me, and he is just a little pain in the ass. Like ninety hits in forty or sixty-seven penalty minutes in thirty-four games this season. <laughs> he has twelve hits. No, he has seventeen he hits in thirty-four three games. games. Huh? Yeah, this season apparently. I'm looking at the stats right now. He only played in thirty some odd games. Yeah. Huh? And he has seventeen hits. 14 penalty minutes and six shots on goal, and now a game-winning goal in three games in the playoffs. Dude's a pest. All right. I mean, is there anything else you guys before to wrap it up? No, I think that's about all I got for tonight. I think we kind of touched on everything. Yep. Well, folks, we are – I mean, I can't complain about the Canes play thus far. Going up 2 nothing against Nashville when – uh, everybody was kind of doubting us, and I think the Canes have kind of silenced the doubters for the most part to start off this series. Still, though, you have to win two more, and ultimately, we'd like to see the Canes win 16 games in these playoffs. But um, for now, Dead said in his post we'll game, you- got a long ways to go. Exactly. And for now, we'll catch you guys next week. We will see you all Friday night for game three. And as always, folks. Great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.